Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Movies, 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 movies. And uh, Will, glad you can join me and everyone else. This is Will and Sammy's uh, first monthly movie pod. The goal of the pod is pretty straightforward. Um, we're here to talk new releases and anything else, and hopefully the occasional ranking with anyone who wants to join us. Uh, that's the plan, right, Will? Yeah, that's the plan, Sammy. Glad to be talking with you. Okay. For this first episode, um, obviously we're going to introduce ourselves, uh, but before we get into that, our what the, the basic plan line, as far as I recall, is, uh, Will, you want to just kind of go over it? Yeah, sure. So what we got planned is we're each just going to, you know, give a rundown, what we saw in March, uh, highlight anything we liked or extremely hated. Uh, then we're going to go into a little deeper discussion on High Flying Bird and Us, just since we both saw those and we both thought they were, you know, worthy of more detailed discussion. And then we're going to end it off with just throwing out a any um, non-new release that we saw recently and why we saw it and why we think it's worth noting. Yeah, m- most of what we wanted to share is, is pretty a direct call out to 32 fans, the community. Uh, we'll get into this over the course, I'm sure, of the discussion, but there's a lot of continuation from what Akiva and Alex have discussed on the pod in terms of movies and sort of why we wanted to make this podcast and how we're hoping to discuss things. With that said, uh, Will, maybe as a way to introduce yourselves, uh, what, what, maybe just give a reason why you're a credible movie critic and maybe one reason why you really shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, so I guess I'm a credible movie critic because it's a a good question. Uh, There aren't (laughs) many reasons. One thing is I did see 207 uh, new releases last year that came out that year. So I feel like I at least have the volume to speak of. I have like the knowledge to draw from in terms of very recent things. And you see these movies in theater? Uh, Yeah, pretty much almost all of them in theaters, unless it's like a Netflix movie or something. Do you see them by yourself or do you drag anyone else along? (laughs) Uh, sadly, I usually see them alone. What time of the day? Um, it really depends. I, I go a lot on weekends. Um, do you know about uh, AMC A-List? Yeah, yeah. So I, I know that. Um, no, what I was getting at is there's a certain time of the day, I think, uh-huh. that if you go by yourself to see a movie in a movie theater, uh, there's anyone who sees you certainly judging you. Like that, like that middle of the day, do you not have a job? Do you not have any friends? Oh, Yeah. You know, do you just need to get out of the sun or the snow or whatnot? Uh, yeah, so I can see. I've got I've got to see movies by myself as well when I was in high school, mostly. Yeah, well, it's it's got it's gotten to the point at uh, this point where everyone at the theater I go to like knows my name. They all recognize me, which I think is kind of sad um, or impressive based on how much I go. You know, it's really really your call there. Where, where are you from? Where are you seeing these movies? Uh, I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Okay, so this is all happening in Virginia. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And what's the, the, the one reason you're not a credible movie critic? Uh, the one reason I'm not is because I'm, I'm like, very biased. Um, I'm always just going to, like, favor anything where I have fun watching it, which, which means a lot of dumb horror movies end up being, like, some of my favorite movies, which I know you're definitely not a fan of. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much on the non-horror movie, non-superhero movie bandwagon, though I guess it's not really a bandwagon since everyone seems to love those. <laughs> 
I have a lot of respect, though, for like A24 and Jordan Peele, which obviously we'll touch on more, in the way that they balance independent, sort of thoughtful movies with horror movies, and that horror movies make so much money. Yeah. I mean, not to go at you, but you're almost like the perfect movie watcher in that, I don't know if you love superhero movies, but superhero movies and horror movies, I think, make the most money in Hollywood, particularly horror movies. I think horror movies cost nothing, and they all make, they all make bank. Yeah, they all really uh, go to town. Yeah, horror movies so. always interest me in like the production angle because they're really like the only type of indie movie that can be made for like five million dollars or less that actually makes like over a hundred million dollars uh, at this point, like in in movie history or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to my mind, obviously, there's genres I like. I think. I mean, we'll get into it, but I just find movies that are too genre specific that I just kind of feel like I'm watching. A shopping list and I'm not watching something fresh and real so mm-hmm. I don't know that plus I don't know I don't like I don't like going on roller coasters I haven't my whole life especially <laughs> as a little kid so I don't like to get freaked out of roller coasters I don't like to get freaked out while watching a movie I don't like to sort of see senseless blood on the screen like it doesn't do it for me um I can play the army card I was in the military so like I don't need to see like people getting killed for for fake when I've seen it for real but that's not really true um yeah the last thing i said isn't really true but uh, yeah no <laughs> horror movies just don't do it for me at all but uh i'm glad that you're we have a big horror fan because <laughs> you know we all got our tastes yeah okay, so that's what, true so what makes you a, a credible movie critic sammy so i'll take the credible in a very different direction i spent two years as an on-air tv pundit uh talking on air about topics basically i generally knew nothing about and having to sound sort of somewhat uh informed and sophisticated while doing so uh, so that at least gives me the credibility and the ability to go on and talk to you about movies that hopefully I've at least seen, uh, but maybe that I don't know that much about. So I think the most important thing for any pundit is the ability to fake it. Uh, so at least I'm, I'm proven that I can fake it on air. Um, but in terms of why I'm not a, a movie, uh, critic, that is sort of, I'm the opposite of you. I didn't spend a dime on a movie will in 2018. Um, I didn't see a single movie in theaters, and I saw over 105 movies uh, last year. So I'm sort of everything you aren't in terms of how people watch movies today. I see almost everything via download. Uh, so I often see things a little bit later than when they come out. And I'm sure that's not the ideal way to watch movies. I'm sure I'm missing something out. This is something we can get into maybe with guests in the future. The appeal and the necessity to sort of be in the theater with the popcorn, surrounded by the people, or in your case, by yourself in the middle of the afternoon with no friends, however it is. Uh, but, yeah, I have a very different movie-watching experience than, than you and maybe a lot of other people. Um, and I don't know, you know, feel free to go at me about that. I certainly think I'm missing out. Uh, but I also think it's something very today, something very Netflix and something very illegal downloads uh, as a way to sort of appreciate movies. Yeah, you're for really better, for worse. Uh, outing yourself to the to the government here. You might just get arrested right? because of this podcast. So, so I noticed I, be, in sort of preparation for this podcast, I normally never listen to movie podcasts, but I figured I should do a little bit of due diligence before we we, we got this going, in in to respect the fans and the listeners of Thirty Two Fans, so at least try this out once. And so I listened to a few movie podcasts. And I noticed that they always go out of their way to say, yeah, I, I, download, I, I got the movie on Amazon or I bought the, the, the disc or, you know, they always go out of their way to sort of establish their credentials as to how they watch the movie legally. And I, you know, I won't go too far into it if I'm not supposed to, but yeah, I don't know if that's a thing. Like they're trying to sort of establish their bona fides. These are also professional movie podcasts where the guys are getting paid. So maybe it's like a different uh, necessity, but yeah, yeah. Leaving, leaving that topic aside, we can maybe do a whole podcast in the future about how and why and whether it's justified to uh, not spend any money and support the movie industry. Yeah, that's a whole ethical discussion there. Yeah, yeah. I, I was sort of a little bit too young when Napster tore apart the movie, the, the music business. Um, I'm guessing, how, how old are you, Will? Uh, 21. Yeah, so you weren't alive, I think, when Napster <laughs> tore apart the music <laughs> business. I was maybe like barely. at the... I was like just beginning high school and I like wasn't really into music at the time. So I sort of missed out on it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the Napster per se is of movies, but that's a whole topic and we can get into that some other time. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so tell me, you've seen, what is it like 200 plus movies last year where three months, three months and change, you know, this is sort of our March looking back at March podcast where three months and change into 2019 
Um, I like, I don't know what you think. To me, I don't care about the Oscars at all, but I think the Oscars are a nice sort of line in the sand that anything after the Oscars broadcast in, what is it, late February? Mm-hmm. Anything after that to me is sort of, anything before the Oscars, I'm still on the previous year. So until the Oscars, I'm still watching 2018 movies. And then once it's shown, I move on to 2019. So essentially, March is kind of my first real 2019 movie month when I'll catch up on January and February. Um, so to my mind, like we're really talking about the first month of movies for 2019, meaning March and everything that came before. So yeah, so I don't know what you've seen. How many have you seen? How many 2019 movies have you seen so far? Yeah, so so far I've seen 48 movies from 2019. What pace are you versus uh, 2018? The same? Um, or? It's, it's about the same, yeah. I've seen, like, more movies that I expected to be really bad, like, just, you know, like, uh, A Dog's Way Home or things like that, just because I enjoy making fun of bad movies. Oh, and you you never walk out in the middle. You always, you sit down, you stick it out, you enjoy it no matter what. Uh, definitely not. I, I don't, like, regularly walk out, but there have been some times where I'm just, like, either if I'm just really tired or... I'm just, like, two-thirds of the way into something, and I have no idea what's going on because I've just been, like, zoning out the whole time. Like, that happened with the the live-action remake of Dumbo. I was just not into it at all. It's... There's, like, nothing interesting about it. Your you're thinking is, okay, I have AMC's A-list. I can go three, see three movies already every, every week. Yeah. So I'm going to see three movies... Do each week you sit down and say, these are the three movies I most want to see, or it's just these are the three movies that fit my schedule, I'm going to go see live Dumbo in, in theater? Uh, it's pretty much just like, these are the three I most want to see. Um, it's not like there are that many new movies released every week, um, so I never really have like too many, I'm never like making any tough choices, you know? But there's times when you almost have to force yourself to go see something, or no? You always, um, you always, you get, your, you get yourself excited. Yeah, I always get myself excited, like... Uh, Dumbo is probably like the one that I was the least excited about this year, and I really just saw it because I felt like it was something people would be talking about, and I should be like informed about it. Um, <laughs> which it turns well, out. What kind of movies do your friends generally talk about? I mean, like Dumbo and like <laughs> live, you know, live animal remakes. Yeah, mostly just you know, uh, flying elephant movies. That's their main genre. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, at twenty one, I was probably doing the same with my friends. So. <laughs> So I can understand. Wait, so so don't give us all forty-eight, but maybe oh, yeah. of those of the forty-eight, maybe just give us a few hits and misses. Yeah, so I'll go through a few I really enjoyed. Um, Shazam is one that everyone's talking about right now, and I know you're not like a big superhero guy, but I'd absolutely recommend it. I'd say it's probably like the most fun I've had uh, seeing a movie this year. Uh, it's, oh wow! It's it's a lot. Did you ever see the uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy? I saw parts of them probably on mm-hmm. TV or the airplanes over the years. I never sat down and was like, I want to watch the Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies, but I've definitely seen most of them over the years. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's understandable. Uh, so this is like the first movie I've seen since then that really captures the like sort of intentional goofiness of, of that trilogy. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's kind of like Deadpool, but not like so cynical. And it like, it does take a lot of shots at like superhero tropes, cliches. I have this whole impression that DC Comics, which Shazam is, really listened to the fan backlash after making these dark, brooding, depressing movies that no one liked. And they've really kind of tried to spin 180 with uh, Wonder Woman and Shazam and the Aquaman movie of last year. I mean, they're really trying to make these like bright, friendly, silly, really doing something else. And I guess I give them credit for that. I mean, if any genre should really listen to the fans, I guess it's superhero movies. Yeah, I mean, you know, it... it what they were doing really wasn't working for them. Like Justice League lost like a ton of money after it had like a $350 million budget or something. Oh, like it was ridiculous. Great. I love hearing that superhero movies are losing money. It's, like, <laughs> it's the best thing. Yeah. It's, the, it's the best thing as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so you're saying Shazam is worth seeing. Boom. Like put it on your, put it on your go see list. Yeah, definitely. Any, anything else out there? Gloria Bell. Have you heard of that one? Yes, Gloria Bell is at the top. So what I do is I make a list based on trailers or random articles that pass my way or, you know, whatnot of movies I really want to see, even if they're not coming out till late. Um, this is something that people who are closer to movies may know, mm-hmm. and, you know, Will, I'm sure you know as well, is that a lot of the more independent type movies, definitely any foreign movie, they screen at festivals or if they're a foreign movie, for all I know, overseas, 
way before they come out stateside, way before they have sort of a wide release. Or in my case, in my case, stateside is also internet download side. <laughs> so yeah, so so something like Gloria Bell, because it's, it's, it's tell me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen it, but it's like an independent. So like anything that's an independent or a foreign movie, I'll have heard about and know about sort of far in advance. So I'll put it on, if I've heard good things, I'll put it on my I want to watch this. And, and then I'll write down the date when it's popping up, assuming I can then download it sometime after that. So Gloria Bell has been on my sort of watch list for a while. I haven't had a chance to see it. Um, don't really know anything what it's about, but I'm glad to hear that. I assume you were going to say you should go watch it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, the trailers sell it more as like this really fun um, sort of romantic comedy about this like older woman finding love like after a divorce. But it's it's a lot more nuanced than that, I would say. Uh, it's a lot more about identity and finding yourself. And the performance from Julianne Moore is just incredible. Uh, that's what I heard about, yeah, Julianne Moore. Yeah. And it's, yeah, she's it, it's, it's like, it's a heavy movie, it's a light movie. Like, if you're telling people, hey, you should go see this, it's very thoughtful and heavy, or hey, you should go see this, it's light and fun. I definitely say it's heavier than I expected. Uh, heavier than Shazam. Heavier than Shazam, for sure. Uh, yeah. That's a low bar. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I... I'd, I'd say it's still, like, a feel-good movie, for sure. Um, it's not something that you're going to feel, like, depressed after seeing. It's, it's yeah. like, pretty uplifting in the end. Yeah. Okay. Are there any a- any other... Are there any movies, like, you think people should not see? You mentioned Dumbo. Oh, yeah. Dumbo, for sure. Um, I did just see The Beach Bum. Um, yeah. New Matthew oh, that's, McConaughey so, movie. So I want to see that. That's one of my, sort of, on my list of 2C See, I've I've really mixed feelings about it. I don't want to get into it too much, but it just felt really aimless, um, really pointless. Um, none of the performances really felt like believable, and yeah. it's a lot of just uh, gratuitous, you know, people partying, drinking. I I feel from the title of the movie and the casting of Matthew McConaughey, you already sort of have a sense of what the movie is. Yeah, like, Beach, Beach Bum with Matthew McConaughey says volumes. And I feel like and the fact- going into it, you'll probably know if it's like your type of thing or not. Have you seen uh, Harmony Kareen's other movies? My younger brother tends to like uh, another of the Chesters, not a Chester that uh, is part of the 32 Fans universe in any way, as far as I know. He's a big fan of sort of random art house movies that really wouldn't be seen otherwise. So he was the one who told me about Beach Mom and insisted I saw it, and his justification was what you were saying, or what you were about to say, which is like, oh, you, you must have seen his other stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he made this movie, uh, Spring Breakers, which starred James Franco and... Oh, uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. Okay, so you're saying skip Dumbo, skip Matthew, Mc- skip McConaughey, don't skip Shazam, definitely don't skip Gloria Bell. Mm-hmm. Any, anything else like you'd be like your, your top movie of the year so far? Um, I think my top movie of the year so far is probably Climax, which I know you didn't enjoy. Um, oh yeah, I can, I can get into Climax. Yeah, if you want. it was a it's a Climax is an A twenty four movie, which I know Keeve on Thirty Two Fans is a huge fan of, and I am as well. I am not a studio person, but somehow A twenty four has like carved its way into my mind as see all movies A twenty four makes, and that's been true for the last two years. Um, yeah, Climax was a complete miss for me. It's in French, right? It's not in English. Uh, yeah, it's in French. Yeah, okay. Not that, I mean, I do think a movie not being in English for most people fairly is already going to be sort of a, a knockoff. Though, to be yeah. fair, for Climax, which you can maybe go into a bit what it is, since we disagree so much about it, it's your number one of the year. To me, it's a complete miss. Um, there's very little talking in Climax. Like, it doesn't matter what language it's in. Yeah, definitely. It's much more of like a like a sensory experience. It's really like a sensory overload. Um, yeah. Like, what yeah, really sure. strikes me is just like the technical mastery of it. The There's so many like long... Uh, like sweeping shots there's like the opening dance sequence that they show in a lot of the trailers is just mesmerizing to me so so i'll just jump in what climax climax is about a bunch of french modern dancers who get completely wasted the night before they're supposed to go off on tour and then chaos and violence and sexual depravity in every sense results because they all got completely wasted and yeah and then it's just like a a huge chaotic mess is that is that a fair description? Yeah. Well, I mean, they for two hours, a two hour mess of like people that are drugged out of their minds. Yeah. Well, it's. Uh, I think it's like essential to note that they they were like spiked with LSD without their knowledge, so they're all sort of like going on simultaneous acid trips and. Yeah. Yeah. The movie's one big acid trip. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Which you know, I give that a lot of props, and I give a lot of props to you that that's your number one movie of the year. I hope. I imagine most people will see Climax on some sort of high, 
either drug-induced or otherwise? No? Isn't that fair? Oh, God. I feel like that movie is, like, the biggest PSA against ever trying drugs. Yeah, that actually Honestly. is. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so Climax, it's interesting. I mean, would you describe yourself, Will, in your 21 years old uh, experience, an LSD uh, heavy drug user? I know you want to get on the illegal activities bandwagon that I started. <laughs> I would describe myself as someone who has never used LSD and probably now never will. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. So yeah. So I, I saw Climax and I was just like, this completely misses me, but I imagine there's certain people that could love this. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a personal preference type of thing. And I totally understand why it would not be for like a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's works for me in terms of movies. I would recommend people to skip. I've seen much less than you this year. I've seen 13 movies so far. Um, I don't have like a three movies a week sort of, uh, rotation. Uh, but I, but I try to sort of see anything that I'm interested in. I I guess the main difference between us is I religiously try to avoid seeing things I think I won't like. Now I Mm. still would say about half the movies I saw in 2018, I maybe about a third to be generous. I didn't like of a hundred plus movies. Um, but I try to avoid seeing things I don't like. Like I don't go out of my way to see, uh, what is it? Fifty Shades of Grey, two, three, four. You know, like I don't look for those type of things. Not that that's climax. So that's kind of a background on. I wouldn't say I see less than you because I'm more selective. I also just have less access. Um, yeah. So of the thirteen, climax is one I would say avoid. But you know, I, I will defer to Will, who it's his number one movie of forty-eight so far. So that carries more weight than anything I have to say. The two I would say avoid is. Um, you know, one of them we're going to discuss. I won't really go into that. But another one is another Netflix special, Triple Frontier. It's a mess. I don't know. Will, you saw it as well, right? Yeah, I saw it. It was, like, fine. I don't remember much about it. So yeah. not a ringing endorsement. I'll, I'll sum it up like this. It's, it's like a heist movie with a lot of A-list actors. And there's this... The, the, the idea is that they have to sort of go to this Colombian drug lord's place and steal all the money he's hidden away in the walls of his house. And... To me, Triple Frontier, uh, a friend actually told me this, but I agree with him completely. That scene is a metaphor for Netflix as a whole, which is the house is loaded with money. They drag all these A-list actors in to make sort of bum movies often, and then they just suck you in your home with all that money. I don't know. If you've seen the movie, you got what I'm talking about 100%. No one should see Triple Frontier unless you're like stuck with Netflix and nothing to watch. For that, it's perfect. Otherwise, it's just like not a good movie. Um, but But I think... I think with Netflix, we're going to have a lot of Triple Frontiers in the future, and probably Triple Frontier 2, 3, 4. What is it? Quadruple Frontier? Quintuple? <laughs> Quintuple yeah. Frontier. Yeah. Oh, there's definitely going to be a sequel, assuming based on Netflix algorithms, it does well, but I don't know how those work. Um, do you have any idea? How does Netflix yeah, know if a movie's have, a hit or not? I have absolutely no idea, and I don't even know like if anyone saw it. I have no idea how to know like if anything, if anything on Netflix was successful, because yeah. they don't release like numbers. Yeah, it's also weird in that Triple Frontier is the kind of movie that seems designed for a big theater. It's a big, yeah. loud action movie, a big, loud, dumb action movie. And not that those don't work on Netflix, but I would have thought of any movie, this is something that needs to be in theaters initially. Yeah, I mean, I get it, like, if they're releasing, like, these more art house sort of... Like Roma or, yeah. like, a foreign flick or even Climax, you know, that would be a good Netflix special. Yeah. But... <laughs> About of the 13 movies, half of them I really liked so far. I'll maybe just touch on two of them I liked and then the one, my number one movie of the year mm-hmm. so far. So one of them which I liked, and I would sort of put it in the climax category, which is I think it's really stylish, stylishly made, and you don't have to be in you know a drug user, in this case, uh, an S&M do- doer to enjoy. But there's this movie called Piercing that came out. I don't really, I don't know, like... Will, have you heard of it? Did it get any play around you? Was it on any theaters? Again, like my access to it is not based upon it being in a movie theater. Um, I can tell you what the movie's about in one sentence in case you haven't seen it. Rule, have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. Um, I haven't seen it coming nearby any theaters near me, but I'm looking forward to it now. Okay, so it's super, super stylishly made. um, And like that is very intentional. Like it's trying as much as possible to hype up the kind of weird camera angles and the... And the director and the cinematographer sort of getting paid. Um, the story is pretty weird, which is that it's about a guy. It's based on this weird Japanese book by a guy named Murakami, but not the Murakami everyone has read and knows about, a different Murakami. And in the book and in the movie, there's this young businessman 
that is driven by this weird desire to impale his newborn baby with an ice pick. And to distract himself and not kill his child, which he doesn't want to do, he decides to go murder a prostitute, but the prostitute ends up being similarly messed up and chaos results. Um, and that's basically the movie. Uh, so again, he shows up planning to like do S&M and end up murdering a prostitute and things go haywire. It isn't necessarily the kind of movie a lot of people would be like, hey, I want to go see a movie about a guy wants to murder a prostitute, but it's just done really well. I don't know what it does. It's just done really well. So piercing, if you weren't planning on seeing it, put it on your watch list. Will is going to put it on his watch list, right? Oh, already. It's already on there. Do you know, Will, have you, did you look it up? Is it like showing any time near you or what's the, you know, or is it just too small that it uh, doesn't even get a release? Uh, yeah, it's not showing in any theaters near me. It looks like it's already like online, like on Amazon and places though. So I'll probably just have to go and watch it there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have more I could say about it, but it's probably too under the radar to really give too much time. And it's not great. It's just sort of, it's just well made. Um, the other one, uh, maybe two really quickly. One off, there's a movie that came out earlier. I think it came out in January, but I saw it in March. It's called Standoff at Sparrow Creek. I'll leave it off that I really like Tarantino movies. And this is one of those kind of somewhat budget Tarantino movies. It literally is budget. Um, it isn't as good as a Tarantino movie. It's a lot sort of like a budget Reservoir Dogs. And if you like that kind of stuff, if you like a bunch of violent, desperate people who are holed up in a warehouse and are trying to figure out what to do before, you know, the police show up, then you'll love it because that's what it is. And it's well made in its own way. So did you see that? No. Is that something? No, I haven't oh, seen no? it. Okay. So the Standoff at Sparrow Creek. Standoff it's at Sparrow Creek. Compl- both these movies are in English. Both of them were made, I think, by American directors. I mean, Sparrow Creek is very American. It's about a bunch of white uh, su- uh, supremacists. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, and it's, again, like if you have any interest in kind of that Tarantino style, uh, a bunch of a bunch of violent people hold up in a room. That's kind of Tarantino, I think. Oh yeah, I mean that's his job. And uh, yeah, so this is certainly every year. I feel there's a good Tarantino movie that comes out, um, like a knockoff Tarantino, and I generally always like them. I feel like just anyone who goes to swim in Tarantino waters, like, is gonna bring their A game. Like, you're not gonna just make a crappy Tarantino ripoff. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna go for it, you better you better be ready. Yeah, I think I think that's a movie that most I think no one will watch that movie and dislike it. People may not be knocked out of the park, but like you'll like it if you know. Assume you're going into knowing more or less what you're going to get for yourself. The last one I'll say before hitting my number one is Stan and Ollie. Uh, yeah, I saw that one. Okay, so Stan and Ollie, just so people know, Lauren Hardy, who I had never really heard of and definitely never seen anything by them. Lauren Hardy were like the original comic duo of old Hollywood in the 1930s and 40s. Like, they kind of invented... They were before anyone else. Like, they were at the same time as the Marx Brothers. So they were like this, like, legendary comic duo. So this is uh, showing their, like, final years once they are no longer really famous. And John C. Riley stars as the fat one of the two of them. He's amazing in the movie. And the movie's very sentimental without being overly sappy. And it's just really, really sweet and really well done. And John C. Riley, who I generally like, is amazing. And... I was not prepared to sort of love it as much as I did. I don't know. I just think that it almost hit that Mr. Rogers of last year movie thing for me, where it's a movie that wears its heart on its sleeve, and it's good. Oh, and it, it, like, and there's no apologies. Was it, like, it's it's a movie you'd recommend people see, or for you, is sort of lost in the tide of the other 48 movies? No, i definitely recommend it, yeah. Um, I think for me, it came out in 2018. Um, oh, yeah? But, I mean, like... At the, the very end of the calendar. Then. Yeah, very end of the year. Yeah, but yeah. That, that's, that whole thing is, like, really arbitrary. But, yeah, I really loved it. I loved John C. Riley's performance. I thought it was really funny that it came out, like, within the same week of Holmes and Watson, which was, like, ah, a yeah, yeah. terrible John C. Riley uh, comedy duo movie. Exactly, yeah. I imagine Riley asked that the two of them come out around the same time if he has that sort of pull, just to sort of salvage <laughs> his reputation. Yeah, like, just totally buried the other one. Yeah, here's a really, really bad comic duo movie I've been in. Um, and here's one that says a lot more about me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, could you see someone, you could, could you see someone watching Stan and Ollie? Stan and Ollie is the first names of Lauren Hardy. So it's trying to sort of be more intimate. Can you see someone going to see Stan and Ollie and not liking it? I guess theoretically, sure. But they'd have to be like pretty, pretty curmudgeon Yeah. It's just a sweet movie about this classic era of Hollywood and two people that somehow made an amazing friendship. And you know, what's not to like? Yeah. We love friendship. Yeah. 
We do. We do. This is a pro-friendship podcast. <laughs> pro-friendship podcast. <laughs> In every sense of the word. Okay. My number one, which I don't know exactly when it comes out, but it checks off the boxes, as I said before, of independent and foreign language. Uh, so those tend to sort of be accessible because they've really come out years before they hit the screen in America. But I do think it's now on the screen in the States. It's called Transit. I won't say so much more about it because I'm sure we'll talk about it later this year. It's by far my number one movie of the year. I think it's an all but classic. I would just describe it as like a mix of Hitchcock and Tale of Two Cities and Eric Maria Remark, who was the the German author of uh, All's Well on the Western Front, that sort of legendary movie. Um, I don't want to say it's not a legend like all of those, but it mixes in their theme, their feel. It's about, it's basically a 1930s refugee movie retold in the present day in the best sense of that. So there's like a mysterious feel to it the whole time. I I will, as far as I call you haven't seen it, right? Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I mean, Richmond doesn't get like, you know, the prime access to all these independent movies, but I think it's probably something I'll have to wait to see when it comes out on, you know, like streaming Yeah, I'd be very surprised. I mean, it's gotten a lot of good buzz. I don't know, again, like I'm not an Oscar file. I don't really know how the Oscars work. But I'd be surprised if something like Transit didn't hold up, even though it came out the beginning of this year, if it doesn't hold up for some sort of end of the year serious awards attention. Not even as like a foreign language nomination. It's in German. It's in German. It's it's set in France. It's basically mostly set in the city of uh, Marseille, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, The French port city. It's so good. It's... the movie will make you think, you'll appreciate the acting, you'll appreciate the plot, you'll sort of forget about the fact it's not in English, which fair, you know, can kind of bug people. Whatever, I'll, I'll leave it for that. I'll leave it for when everyone's seen it, not just uh, the two of us, but everyone else. Because I, I think it's a movie we'll be talking about at the end of the year. Yeah, I'm excited to go, go into a deeper dive in it once, we've, once I've seen it as well. Yeah, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to bet, and I don't know if, if you'll agree, I don't know what we should bet, but I'm willing to bet that Transit will be worthy of discussion at the end of the year, but Climax will not. Oh, I mean, we already discussed Climax pretty much. I, don't I know, but, <laughs> but, but my, my point is that my number one movie so far, despite only seeing 13, I think uh, will, hold well, will hold well against your number one of 48, even uh, come 10 months from now. All right, I'll take nine. that bet. Yeah, okay, we'll have to figure out what, the, what, the, what we're betting for. But <laughs> yeah, it's very, very high stakes. Yeah, very, very high stakes. We're putting two foreign language independent movies that most people won't see against each other. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let, let's jump to the standouts. You mentioned them already at the, at the start of the podcast. High Flying Bird and Us. Which, which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's start with High Flying Bird. Okay. To my mind, High Flying Bird is a must to discuss. I mean, first off, we're, you know, we are trying to build on the shoulders of 32 fans. High Flying Bird, for those who haven't seen it, it is a movie about sports and cultural issues and money. Minnesota Timberwolves, Car Anthony Towns plays this sort of documentary role in the movie. He sort of pops up five times just to sort of talk about his rookie experience. And the, like, the movie is intensely now. It had the potential, at least, to be intensely now in terms of Colin Kaepernick. The movie, whole movie is about race and basketball and sports and where all that comes together. Uh, the plot is almost irrelevant just for people who haven't seen it, so you have sort of a sense of what we're talking about. The lead the lead in the movie, played by Andre Holland, right? Mm-hmm. Andre Holland's not like a super famous actress, so no reason anyone's heard of him per se, but he plays, a sports, he plays a sports agent who is trying to get his hotshot rookie basketball client during a lockout to agree to this sort of controversial opportunity as a way to sort of salvage the client and salvage the sports agent and avoid the lockout or maybe end the lockout. The whole thing isn't so clear, as I said. I don't know about you, but like to me, I couldn't follow the plot. And even after I somewhat followed it, it didn't seem to be so relevant. Yeah, I mean, the plot's definitely not the most engaging. It's a very talky movie. It feels a lot like David Fincher, but like not great. And so for me, so first off, this is a Netflix movie. So a lot of people can have access to it. And again, just because it's about sports and, you know, very much of the moment, I feel like a lot of people maybe listening to this in 32 Fans Plus World will have seen it or would be interested in seeing it. And because it's on Netflix, they can see it easily. The other thing besides not following the plot, I agree with you, it's very talky. I couldn't follow the conversation. And I don't know why that is. Maybe they speak too quickly. They jump from scene to scene with no connection. I literally couldn't follow about a third of the, of the dialogue. So I wasn't quite sure what they were talking about when they were talking. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which didn't didn't help. Yeah, it's definitely uh, written pretty weirdly in terms of like the scene structure and like how the story is told. Um, it because it feels like a much more simpler story than they try to make it out to be. But it's written to be like this complicated drama when yeah. in actuality it's really just about this agent um, trying to you know uh, pitch a business opportunity uh, for this rookie basketball player and there there isn't really that much more to it like there's no deeper yeah. meaning behind it no like subtext but i mean will will tell me something like one of the things i come i feel when i see movies and i felt this really strongly in 2018 i felt there were so many movies in 2018 that had the potential to be amazing like there was all the pieces there there was a good director there were good actors there was an acclaimed scriptwriter the scriptwriter in this case is the guy who wrote moonlight both the play of Moonlight and the movie of Moonlight. Mm-hmm. The director here is, you know, obviously super well-respected, Steve Sodenberg. So there's a lot of movies like that in 2018 that I ultimately didn't like, and I didn't like High Flying Bird, I'll just put it out there. But my takeaway, my frustration, I was like, you had all the ingredients to be great. And that's what I keep coming back. With High Flying Bird, it is such a topical theme. I mean, talking about race and sports and basketball and money. Yeah. And the director of Moonlight and Steve Sodenberg. I mean, like, everything is there. It's on Netflix. Like, everything is there for this to have been a really special movie. And to me, it completely fell flat. I mean, I didn't know what was going on and didn't really want to watch more by the middle of the movie, which says everything. Yeah, and I mean... I don't, know, I don't, I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, really well acted. It's shot really well. It's, like, I feel like... Like, I was almost engaged just based on the performances. and the I like how you say almost. Yeah. Almost engaged. <laughs> it was like, that was so good that it almost made up for the plot being totally boring. Yeah. To you, like, what's the key element? Because I, I have my own idea. What is sort of the key? What's the linchpin of this movie? Like, what's sort of the, what's the whole movie riding on? I can tell you what I think. I mean, it's the book. In, in the very first scene of the movie... The agent, who's always wearing, like, the most fancy suits imaginable, he's meeting in, like, the fanciest restaurant imaginable with his his rookie basketball player. And he gives him this book, and he calls it the Bible. And I figured it was the Bible. I don't know. I mean, at that point, what do I know? And then in the very last scene of the movie, uh, spoiler of sorts, I guess, the, the athlete opens up the package, and he sees the book. And I missed the dialogue in the scene where they identify what the book was. So I didn't even know what the book was. And then the movie ends. And so, to me, the linchpin of the movie is this book. Like, this book sort of represents what the agent is about and what he was trying to do. And then the, this, this player sees the book and he's so excited and he's sort of moved. And yet, when I saw the movie, I had no idea what the book was. And therefore, it completely, you know, I, I completely wasn't affected by what's supposed to, I think, be kind of the, the punch. No? Like, did you, did you get that from this book? I can, so, I think I told you this before we went on. I don't like having to do this, but I Googled around to find out what is the book in the end of High Flying Bird and why does it matter and et cetera, et cetera. And once I did that, I was like, wow, that's a really cool book. There's a cool story behind it. It represents the movie so well. I don't know. Did you, do you think that scene was important? Did that book play a role? Did you catch what was going on? Yeah, it was definitely something that I had to look up to figure out the significance of. And I'm, I am like... Uh, I feel similar to you in that I'm not really sure if it's great filmmaking, if you sort of like require background knowledge of this book to really have an appreciation for the themes that are being talked about. And And we'll get into, I mean, with us, we'll get into in a moment, Mm -hmm. people love us, as I understand it, because they love sort of going online afterwards and pulling at all the Easter eggs, which are sprinkled throughout the movie. But that's different. It's one thing to sort of have endless little hints in the movie you can play with later or just not really know what's going on and then have to literally go online to figure out what did I just watch. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, I I think it's worth discussing really what the book is because the book in the movie, which is a real book, is really interesting. And like that book, which is really what the movie is based on, should have made a much better movie. Yeah. Do you want to go into it a little bit more? Because I'm still pretty iffy on it. Yeah, so the book is called The Revolt of the Black Athlete, and it's this power mantra written in the late 60s in 1969, you know, right in the decade when this was all happening, by this activist called Henry Edwards. And the book basically says racism is a major problem in sports, just like in all these other places in society that at the time in the 60s, Martin Luther King and everything else, uh, black Americans and their allies were fighting to oppose. 
And the book played a major role, and Edwards did. I mean, Edwards was the mentor for those two guys in the Mexico City Olympics in 1968 that famously did the Black Power salute uh, to the two sprinters, the American sprinters, one of the most famous images in Olympic history. And they were following the inspiration of the guy who wrote this book and of the movement that he created around that book. Again, this whole movement that like black athletes have to stand up within their sport. And there's a direct line from those two guys in 1968 raising their fists at the, when the Star Spangled Banner, uh, sorry, when like the, yeah, when the American anthem is played and the flag is raised. It's a, there's a direct line from those two guys in the Olympics in 1968 to Kaepernick. And the, the, the even more direct line is that this guy, Henry Edwards, the author of the book, which the movie's based on, has, was an advisor to those two Olympics uh, in 1968. And he's also has been an advisor to Kaepernick during his entire protest against the NFL and, and kneeling during the anthem and everything else. So again, as I sort of said in the beginning, this theme of money and race and sports, hugely, hugely compelling, a lot of intellectual material there, a lot to play with. And yet, this isn't the movie that does that justice, Yeah, to me at least. Yeah, I mean, it definitely doesn't really... It has those themes like like lurking in the background, you know? But I, mm-hmm. there isn't that much tying it into what's going on in our present day. Yeah, and I, think I it, mean, even making, making a movie about Kaepernick yeah. like, would be so much better. Yeah, I would or love just, that. Or just a movie that doesn't star Kaepernick in the NFL, but could be like a Kaepernick-like figure in the NBA or I don't know, something. I mean, there's, there's just so much, there's such a better movie there about racism in sports and big money and agents and owners. And, you know, think of, think of like the last year, I know we're living in the age of Twitter and ESPN and everything everywhere, but think of like LeBron James and people talking about like the owners or slaves and, you know, who is the NBA owner who got punished for NFL owner. I mean, like all these owners and, you know, NFL owners are weird to begin. There's, there's just so much material here for a good movie about the intersection of these three themes. And I wish, you know, I hope they'll make a better one because this is not it to me at all. Yeah. What was like the one thing you most liked in the movie then? Uh, The one thing I most liked about the movie was definitely um, Andre Holland's performance. Like for all of the movie's faults, um, there was the one scene at the very beginning where he's just speaking with uh, the rookie player that he's, uh, you know, working with the whole movie. And like that scene, I was so engaged. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be such a great movie because the way he's going on this monologue is, it's very well done. It's well written. It's well acted. I, so I tend to, I, I like that as well, though I disagree. Mm-hmm. Obviously I'm showing my, my hometown colors. I perked up and got excited when they showed Carl Anthony Towns of the Minnesota Timberwolves, my home team, uh-huh. when he jumped in and had those sort of somewhat unrelated just cutscenes where he's talking about his rookie year and sort of how the NBA takes advantage of you or doesn't, mm-hmm. um, that's when I got excited. And then they kept on bringing him back, and I was like, okay, it kind of kept hooking me. And the main movie was so boring to me <laughs> that as long as they kept on showing Cat in black and white talking about his real-life experience, I was like, okay, I'm with you. But, um, yeah, I think the better movie of these themes should also have Cat and others, meaning they could they can keep a lot of the themes, bring back Andre Holland, but uh, I always feel if they could just redo this movie, it, it could be the best movie of the year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is not it at all. <laughs> Definitely not. I don't know if yeah. anyone is saying it is. Yeah. I mean, to you, bottom line, is this a movie you would recommend people see or not recommend? <sighs> I, if you're like... I'm definitely in the latter. I'm definitely not recommending If you're this. really interested in basketball and you also like really enjoy movies like Steve Jobs or things that are just like really dialogue heavy, I would recommend it to you. But like to the average person, I would say you're probably not going to get much out of it. Yeah, I, I don't. As a movie, it doesn't hold up. If you're really into sports and money and racism and like, if, if you really, really want this movie, <laughs> if you're really into what this movie wants to be, then see this because this is the best you have for now. Um, I don't know any other movie that really you know could compare. Um, but yeah, but don't 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 go in expecting a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, in terms of don't go in expecting a great movie, that brings us to your favorite genre. Oh boy. Uh, which is us. Now, I'll tell you the first thing I thought about us before I saw it. Um, and I let, let, let's kind of put this out there. We already did, but I all my takes on us are coming from two backgrounds. One, we already said I don't like horror movies, and this is very much a horror movie as far as I'm concerned. 
But B, I really, really like Key and Peele, the comedy duo, Jordan Peele. I loved Get Out. This is his sort of sophomore movie to get out. I mean, Jordan Peele directed, he wrote, he produced this. This is his movie entirely. Yeah, it's his so, movie. I'm coming in loving Jordan Peele. I'm coming in not loving horror movies. And I'll kind of otherwise leave it up to you to tell people what is us. The only thing I knew going into it besides Jordan Peele was that there's us. There's the movie that came out. What is it? Last year, Stephen King, It. Uh I just felt it's sort of weird that there's all these horror movies named after pronouns. But uh, (laughs) apparently, like, that's what... That's what people want. Yeah, when is we coming out? Yeah, there is an Octavia Spencer horror movie coming out called Ma, just M-A. Okay, there you go. Definitely follows the trend of two-letter horror movies. Yeah. No, look, I, look. it did really well. Yeah. Us us did really well, which, you know, it's a horror movie. Jordan Peele, why not? Yeah. Um, but yeah, but okay, so what is us? And I'm assuming, did, I mean, did you like it? If so, why did you like it? I'll tell you what I thought about yeah. it. But like, yeah, w- w- what's going on in us? Yeah, so... Just to start out, I definitely loved Us. Um, big fan of it, so um, big fan of it. Um, one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Uh, definitely not as good as Get Out. Um, or Climax. Or Climax, yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. I mean, what can be? Uh, yeah. So as far as what it's about, it's just about uh, this family of four who's on a summer vacation uh, to their lake house. And then these four intruders show up at their house who look exactly like uh, the four, uh, the family of four main characters, and then they gotta fight for their lives to survive. Yeah, so it's like a home invasion horror movie. Yeah, with the the, the the hitch being that like the home invaders are doppelgangers of the of the heroes. Yeah, and I'll go into what I liked about it. Um, first of all, I wasn't expecting it to have as much comedy as it did, and it it really functions more as a horror comedy than a straight up horror movie to me. And I think that's... But isn't there... But, I mean, again, Will, like, you know this better than I do. Mm-hmm. Isn't there a tradition in horror movies to have, like, weird comedy scattered throughout? Oh, like, definitely. isn't that almost... Isn't that almost, like, uh, a trope that, you know, the people will be sort of standing there before the, the killer comes back with the knife, and they'll be making, like, aw shucks jokes that don't really fit? It really depends. Because um, there are a lot of horror movies, like, especially stuff that A24 is putting out, like It Follows or The Babadook. Actually, I don't think the Babadook was A24. Don't quote me on that. Um, But a lot of ones that are more just very bleak, very depressing, and don't really have that comedy angle to them. Okay, so you're saying... I I hear that, but my point is that, like, I also saw the jokes in Us, and first off, because it's Jordan Peele, I was like, there must be humor in this. Otherwise, like, what am I doing? But also, I didn't feel almost any of the jokes hit. I felt they were very forced, and I actually didn't like them. And again, that's for someone who only really wanted to see jokes because it's Jordan Peele. Um, but but to me, they were just like another genre marker. I was like, oh, this is like Scream or this is like, uh, I know Scary Movie is not a horror movie, but like this is like <laughs> Scary Media. To me, it was just like, it was like the horror movie with like the, the Oshucks jokes thrown in. But okay, so you said you liked that. Yeah, well, I definitely didn't like all the jokes. Like there were some things where someone would just make like a really like sarcastic comment. It's like, Okay, that's obviously not how someone would actually react in that situation. But there is some more, like, absurdist humor. Like, the the way the doppelgangers behave sometimes is just, like, very ridiculous. Uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I give you that, yeah. Definitely, like, intended oh. to be, like, really out there. And So tell me something else then, because that kind of is... Uh, so I'll put it out there. I generally did not like this movie because I do not like horror movies. I think one thing to put out there in big letters at the top is that if you like get out, should you see this movie? Um, it's a really, a really tough question. I think if you liked the more like social commentary aspects of get out and the more like allegorical things like about what I had to say about class and race, I think you should definitely check out us because it, it functions much better as a P as a metaphor than it does like a straight up traditional narrative because Speaking quite frankly, a lot of the things in the narrative don't make sense if you think about them like logically, um, like oh, the way sure. the doppelgangers are made and like behave. It it's it's pretty ridiculous and stupid. Uh, yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, just to give this is not a spoiler to say, and we may get into spoiler territory. Like heads up, just in case people don't like that. But you know, last chance. Uh, turn us off now. But you know, just something like the doppelgangers are all wearing these red overalls. And 
you know, where did, where did they produce? And they're, they're, I mean, again, somewhat of a spoiler. There turns out to be thousands and thousands of doppelgangers, not just the four of them. Oh, millions. Where, yeah, they're millions. Where did they get all those red overalls is never, I mean, like, you know, there's tons of things and the movie doesn't even bother explaining it. So I, I, I hear that. Okay, so you're saying, like, get out what people loved about it was that it was so much more than a drama with comic and horror elements. I mean, it had this really searing take on, you know, America 2000 and what is it, 17. Uh, and you're saying you found that in us as well. Yeah, definitely. I don't think it was as well handled just because I think it should have been, I think a lot of the things should have been left more vague. Um, there should have been more nuance in like the story itself. Because I think when you get too much into like explaining how, like the actual logistics of everything, like there's a there's a scene near the end where a character just goes on a long monologue, like explaining oh, yeah. everything that happened in the movie. I really didn't like that. Yeah, I was, I was like, I was so. I really didn't like that. And then, but but that's supposed to be in some ways. I mean, you know, again, that scene has the main hero and the main villain sort of facing off, and the main villain is giving you know in a very James Bond sense, like their whole this is the entire plan and how everything has happened over the last thirty years to get to this moment. Yeah, and in some ways, that's kind of the high point of the movie. I mean, that's like the, the big face-off, the big uh, reveal. But to me, I mean, it was just like, this is so unnecessary. And like, this yeah. is going on way too long. Yeah, that was definitely the point where I was like, falling a little bit out of love with it. They, it, it could have been a much better climax. Yeah. And I mean, you know, to, to really push into spoilers, but to maybe keep it a little bit general, what I'm saying, the whole hands across America bit I don't understand that, frankly. And that's kind of the, you know, that's kind of the the big message of the movie in some ways. I don't understand why the doppelgangers are all holding hands. I mean, it was just completely lost on me. Outside of the fact that the girl saw that when she was a little kid on TV in the, what is it, the 1986. Um, The context here, so you can sort of follow along, is that way back in the 80s, there was this like weird uh, thing to raise money against hunger when people held hands across America. So at some point in the movie, these doppelganger villains, the millions of them, all hold hands across America. And why exactly they do that and what that's supposed to mean, did, did you get that? Did that matter to you? Was it part of the social commentary? Yeah. To me, it just went over my head. I definitely think there is some significance. Uh, it could have been spelled out a lot better, but um, I think it's supposed to show sort of the imagery of like this big symbolic act of people coming together, um, like trying to raise awareness about homelessness and hunger, which was what the event was originally for, where I think the um, the actual movie is about this group of people living underground who are meant to represent like the homeless, the underprivileged. And um, the fact that uh, Hands Across America is being highlighted is just showing how we sort of don't really care about those people. Um, I hear that. So Hands Across America was sort of as if we care about the poor people, but not really. So here you have the symbolic poor people getting up there after, like, killing everyone. Yeah, exactly. And, and doing a Hands Across. Okay, yeah, I, I didn't appreciate that. The way you explain it now makes a little more sense. I mean, if, if there's a few more things you wanted to say, um, definitely go at it. But what I'll, what I'll say so far to what you mentioned is everything you're saying I appreciate um, mm-hmm. to my question of if you like Get Out should you see this movie my answer would be no if you, do, if you don't like horror movies meaning mm-hmm. I wouldn't have advised myself to see this movie um, I saw this movie because I as I said I loved Get Out and I liked Jordan Peele but Jordan Peele himself said this he said this in countless interviews he said he said Get Out was not a pure horror movie it was something else it was a little more complex um, he said, us is my take on a horror movie and he loves horror movies. So he's going to make a bunch of them. And I also like, as I said this in the beginning, like I love that for him. He's going to go from making movies that make a ton of money and then every now and then he'll try to do some weird things, but he can always go back to his, he's an amazing director, an amazing storyteller. So I think he's going to have a really successful career. unlike like, like M. Night Shyamalan or something. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that building on what Jordan Peele has told us, like us is a pure horror movie. If you do not like horror movies, don't see this. Yeah, that's totally fair. In terms of what you said, like, if you like the social commentary of Get Out, which was my favorite part of Get Out, I, I mean, everything about Get Out I loved, but, like, I certainly, the social commentary added so much. I agree with you that the social commentary of us as a whole other level, I just don't think it's, it's not handled so well. Like, it's either too splattered in the movie, 
um, and not with gore and blood. It's, it's just too over all over the place. It's too broad. It's too broad a brush, or it's not narrow a brush. It's not sophisticated. It just... I kind of knew what he was trying to do, but it didn't ever speak to me in the way that Get Out, it, like, really hits you deep. So... I don't know, like, to my mind, it's almost a minus in that, like, he was trying to do that kind of arch, sophisticated social commentary again in an unexpected way, but I don't know, maybe he was being too ambitious this time, I don't know, I, it's just, it somehow, to me, it really missed. I did see one person, uh, a film critic that I that I follow, say that it's a more fun movie to talk about and, like, theorize about and discuss the meaning of than it is to actually watch, and uh, I can't, like... I think- I think I told you that. Oh, so I told you that because one of the things I'm struck by when I Googled around after the movie, because I saw the movie recently, Mm -hmm. and then I wanted to sort of be like, why do people love this so much? I know I'm not a horror movie fan, but still, why do people love this so much? And what I saw is people love looking at all the Easter eggs because I could tell while watching the movie, this movie is full of Easter eggs. I mean, there's so many scenes that don't really have to be there. There's so many like biblical references or or random characters or like random scenes of rabbits and like all this sort of stuff that don't really have to be in the movie and are clearly coded references to, I don't know, like famous horror movies of the past or other things that went over my head. And yeah, you can go on Reddit and go down, down, down the escalator into sort of fan theories. So yeah, no, I, I hear that movie critic a hundred percent. Um, you seem to disagree with him though. Um, well, full disclosure, I did see it twice because, you know, I enjoyed it enough to go see it again. And do you, do you, how often do you see movies twice? Uh, not super often. Um, I did just see Pet Cemetery twice, which I didn't really enjoy that much the first time, but then a friend asked me to go. Um, so I think that's... And when a- you, as an, A-li- as an AMC A-lister, seeing a movie twice, how does that work? Um, so, you know, it's no, if it just like fits into your three movies a week thing. Um, oh, okay. So if I like have a third open spot a week, then I'll, you know, might as well just okay. see something. Okay. It's not like if you see the same movie, it doesn't count twice, so you can see it forward then or something. Yeah, exactly. No, that that doesn't make sense. Yeah. I could just see us so, like, okay. three times a week. So you're saying this, the second time it holds, you liked it even more than the first time? Uh, the second time, it was weird. I The second time, I enjoyed noticing some of the like instances of reincorporation or things that are like foreshadowed early on that end up becoming more significant later. But I also noticed more of the flaws in terms of the, like, comedy that doesn't really hold up that well, or, like, that sort of the tonal dissonance. And, um, yeah, there, it's, it's a mixed bag. I do think, though, like, I think an amazing movie or a movie you really like doesn't necessarily have to get better on future watchings. I mean, some yeah, people would disagree. Fair. Some people would say, like, no, like the definition of a classic or something really well made is you can just keep going back and back and back to it. Um, but no, I don't know. I disagree whether it's because it's based on like a really big hook, which this movie isn't. And therefore, the first time will get you in that hook in the way that you won't be able to be hooked. To get, I don't know. I, I don't think that is. I think there can be something that can be amazing, but it just the second, third, fourth time, each time it sort of becomes a little bit less. Um, that said, I mean, like, I didn't need to see this once. I think maybe I'll, I'll kind of wrap up my bit is that like, I think it's a good movie. I think it's well made. Um, but I think if you don't like horror movies, then you have no business watching this. Yeah, that's fair. There's not much you're going to really get out of it if you're not a horror movie fan. Mm-hmm. What, so what, what was sort of the one thing that really struck you that you really like, whether it's a particular actor, whether it's the way something was shot, um, you know, whether it's, the sort of the themes or the, the way they're hidden away. Like if there's like one thing you're like, wow, I love how that was being done. Well, the one thing that really struck me was Lupita Nyong'o's performance. I think she's just an incredible actress. And, and, and she was in, she's like the love interest in Black Panther, right? Yeah. She plays yeah the, she is. She's the girlfriend of Black Panther. Yeah. And yeah. And she, she's pretty good at Black Panther. Yeah, she she's was. Like, she's interesting there. I didn't, I didn't love Black Panther, but she was like one of the highlights of it. Oh, this is an openly anti-Black Panther podcast. <laughs> I love it. Yep. I love it already. And by the way, I didn't know that you didn't like Black Panther. So, you know, carry, on, carry on. I won't say anything yeah. more. Carry on. Um, but yeah, she she obviously plays um, her like this the main character and then the uh, sort of double of that main character. And she does such a great job um, playing off of herself in so many scenes. And as, oh, she's, I agree. She's great. As someone she's who amazing. doesn't act at all, I have no idea how I would be able to um, act against an evil version of myself and I'm playing both of them that just seems like a very uh daunting thing to ask of someone 
But I'll, but I'll give it even more than that because there there have been movies where people have played you know themselves and the villains oh, yeah. and sort of done it. I feel like Nicolas Cage has done something <laughs> like that, or maybe yeah. not. Like I'm thinking like Face Off, but like it. She's not campy, which is yeah. why particularly I think horror movies lend toward campy acting. And I'll get to in a moment, like, I found some campy acting in this movie. I think in general the acting is very good, but I found stuff that wasn't great. And I find horror movies in general often have sort of, like, throwaway acting. She was incredible, um, Lupita. I mean, she really sells it and really needs to because her character is the movie. I mean, her character is, like, 80% of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's really good. So I'll tell you, my kind of one takeaway is, and this is maybe the one bias I had, and I didn't know she was in the movie until I saw it, but I don't like Elizabeth Moss in anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's someone who, if I see her on screen, I'm like, okay, I like this less now. Uh, for people who don't know who Elizabeth Moss is, since the name is sort of so common, she's the kind of main female character in, in Mad Men, the secretary who rises to become a successful advertising executive. Um, I don't know. I just find her really annoying on screen. I'm sure she's a very pleasant person in real life, or maybe not. And I've sort of read things where people were like, oh, she's amazing in this movie. And I was like, no, no. Like every time I saw her, I was just like, stop being in this movie. Yeah. Why does Jordan Peele like you? I hope Jordan Peele doesn't put you in other movies. <laughs> so yeah, so I am not an Elizabeth Moss fan. I don't think she needs to be in any more movies. She should retire and just go be an advertising executive or whatever she does um, in her part in her like, spare time. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. So like to me, good movie. Jordan Peele, you're awesome. Not for me. Don't cast Elizabeth Moss anymore. And if you can give us a non-horror movie next time, I'm all for it. I don't know if you, uh, if you may disagree, you may be like, no, like more horror, man, more horror. Um, I, I definitely prefer like a mix of what Get Out did, uh, mm-hmm. where it's more like tongue in cheek, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, look, I, I ultimately like my rankings for movies are very simple. Like I say, basically avoid, go see, or like, all, or like amazing. This was something I recommended people should go see, you know, with the disclaimer that it is a horror movie, you know, don't, mm-hmm. uh, don't kid yourself. Yeah. All right, but no, yeah, I've, I pretty much don't have much more to say on us. So, let, well, let's kind of bring this to a close. Mm-hmm. We're going to hope to have, again, an episode a month, bring in guests from our own worlds, from the 32 Fans community. So hit us up if you'd like to come on and talk movies, generally movies. You know, we will focus on movies that we've seen in the last month. We'll just close with our classic corner. Uh, will give me a, a non-new release, a non-2019 movie you saw in the last month and why it's relevant or why you liked it. All right. So basically, I guess I'll explain why it's relevant. Um, uh, so I saw The Departed from 2006, Best Picture. The Departed. The Departed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I basically saw it because I'm doing this thing with my friends where they give me like movies to add to a list, and then every few days I just like random number generator to pick one of them, and I watch it and get my thoughts on it, and you know, this came up. Uh, it's been a really fun experiment. Um, I definitely understand why this won Best Picture. Um Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon and Jack Nicholson are all... Had you never seen it. it before? I'd never seen you it ne- before, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, wow. I don't know how. Oh, wow. I mean, all-time classic. So I am going up to Boston tomorrow morning, as they say in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm running the Boston Marathon in 48 hours on Monday. So I'm all Boston. I'm all departed. So I, I, I love that. Uh, my movie was Seven. I saw Seven in the last month and had mm-hmm. never seen it. Always sort of heard a lot about it. Um... And I didn't particularly like it. I thought it was sort of maybe just doesn't hold up over the years. But my one take on it, which is probably an obvious take to anyone who's seen Seven, is the guy who made it must really hate New York City because it makes New York City look like the dreariest, coldest, wettest, most awful place. Uh, yeah, if you are a New York City lover, don't see Seven. Uh, and if you hate New York City, then you know go back and see it again because... All of your criticism will be redeemed and validated. I was going to guess that your one take on it was relating to Kevin Spacey. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you hate Kevin Spacey or you like Kevin Spacey, based upon what's happened in the years since, um, you'll appreciate going back and seeing him. But and Kevin Spacey's always been a weirdo, so. Yeah. Say? I mean, American no, no. Beauty, even even weirder to watch. Everything, now. yeah, everything. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. I mean, so many things, you're right. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about We'll talk about American Beauty some other time uh will it's been great um we had no idea going into this how long it would take and we have no idea in the future but uh this is our mini pod yeah i like how you said this would be like 30 to 40 minutes well we'll edit it down to however long it needs to be (laughs) (laughs) yeah i had a good time though i hope the listeners did as well 
Okay, great. Yeah, Will, all the best. Uh, speak to you next month. Yeah, good to talk to you. All right, have yeah, a good one. Uh, yeah, you as well. Bye. That's why God made the movie. Well, I laid around in my swaddling clothes Until the doctor came and turned out the light Then I packed my bag And my name tag And stole away into the night Hoping things would work out right And that's why God made me win Say you will, say you will Say you'll take me to your loving breast Say you'll nourish me with your tenderness The way the ladies sometimes do And say you won't, say you won't Say you won't leave me for no other man Say you love me just the way I Come to sleep over at your house. Maybe I should bring some of my toys. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.